Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we're starting off our student mini-series where we're going to introduce a few students in third, fourth year, and maybe even early residency to give their personal experiences towards the changing academic surroundings and environments over the past few months and years and what to expect going forward, or at least what some of their experiences are. So today, we have Beth Garbadelli, which is a third-year medical student at Tufts University School of Medicine. And on the main track, she is the producer and social media manager for the Curbsiders podcast. Has been since 2017, which I think is when I started listening to that show. Nice. She loves to bake and former journalist and recovering paralegal. What does that mean, recovering paralegal? Well, I feel like it's just working in the legal world just changes you, you know? So you're kind of like always trying to work your way out of it. I feel like people who might be lawyers, they could be recovering lawyers. It changes the way that you think about the world a little bit in a way that I'm trying to constantly reverse. <laughs> but it was actually a really useful experience. As anyone can tell from that bio, I've had a very, very non-traditional path to med school, which has been great. You know, I mean, I'm a little envious of my peers who are my age, who are all now practicing doctors for the most part and out of residency. But I think that it's only helped me to have sort of unique experiences. And hopefully it's helped me connect with patients and sort of understand the medical world a little bit more. Yeah. And as we were discussing before hopping on here, you know, we're both unique in our pathways. I kind of explained a little bit of mine and some of the audience might know mine. Yours is very different than mine. And we're both kind of, I don't know how old you are. I'm in my thirties. So I'm going to be an old graduate, I guess, by the modern definition of it. So how did you kind of switch over to medicine and also a little bit about how you joined up with the Curbsiders, since a lot of students are probably aware of that podcast. Great resource. Yeah, they're the best. I guess I kind of always had this like faint interest in medicine. Like it was sort of like this unattainable goal to me. I definitely suffered from sort of talking myself out of things and I couldn't see a path forward. Like I got through, I was like halfway through college and like was an English major and a psych major. And I kind of wasn't like super focused in college in terms of thinking about what would be my future. And it was a little bit too late by the time I sort of considered medicine. I remember telling some of my friends, they were like, oh, do you want to do psychology, like a graduate degree in psychology? And I remember being like, no way. Like I wouldn't want to do that unless I was like becoming a psychiatrist. I remember kind of like toying with the idea, but it just didn't seem possible. For the record, I'm not going into psychiatry, but I mean, I just had always sort of thought that medicine was too hard to like course correct into at that point. I had been pre-med for like a hot second my freshman year and then talked myself out of it. I think my path to medicine sort of involved me sort of ruling out other things to try. In my mind, kept returning to medicine. It was always this like pedestal. And I had some personal experiences, unfortunately, like with very poor medical care on my own and it just sort of over time, like I realized that this was something I really was interested in and I wanted to pursue it. When I was a journalist, I covered the opioid crisis and I kept every time I interviewed somebody that was like a doctor or a lawyer or an advocate or anything, I was like, I wanted to be them. You know, I didn't want to just be interviewing them. And that sort of was 
an indicator to me that journalism was not going to be where I was going to be happy for the rest of my life. So at that point, it made more sense to sort of try to see if law might be a good fit because you don't have to go through this crazy post-bac experience, which I eventually ended up doing. But I was able to kind of get a job as a paralegal, which helped me pay down some of my student loans. But of course, once again, I was gravitating towards things that were related to medicine. I ended up working in the patent group at the firm I was at. And it was really interesting. You know, I got to go on a couple trials. Patent law is super fascinating. The cases are related to like devices and pharmaceuticals. But there was always this part of me that kept sort of like returning to medicine. And I was seeing a lot of my peers as paralegals kind of go down the law school path and take the LSAT. And, you know, I sort of started to realize that you can sound so super corny, but like if you put your mind to something that you're really passionate about, you can make it happen. And I don't know why it took me like several years out of college to recognize that. But I was like, you know what, like these people, they can go to law school, they can like put their head down and do the LSAT. Like I can do med school, like I could do a post back. I can make this, you know, I wanted to do something that I wanted to be happy with for the rest of my life. And medicine is that for me. It's truly a calling. Like I kept kind of like ignoring the calling, but I sometimes look back on the things I did before medicine and I'm just like shocked. I spent so much time doing anything besides this. And the way that I found the curbsiders was I was at that point after I finished paralegaling, I sort of like, you know, gave my two weeks or whatever, was trying to do more volunteering at hospitals in New York. And I was going to do my post back at UVM. So I came back to Vermont, was doing that. It was super intense. I did everything in one year, which was crazy. And I tell people not to do that. At some point, I was like, I lived in Burlington for part of it. Then I moved back with my parents who live in central Vermont. And I was commuting for my part-time job, which after I finished my post back was my full-time job during my glide year. And I was listening to the curbsiders because I wanted to listen to a podcast that would kind of keep my brain like listening to something that was medical related. And, you know, I discovered some of those like, you know, somewhat stodgy, you know, not super interesting journal review kind of podcasts. And then I found the curbsiders and I was like blown away at how fun they were to listen to. I mean, definitely didn't know what the heck was going on in some of the episodes, especially like kidney stuff. I was like, that's totally above my scope. But I really enjoyed them. And I was listening and I'm like, I should try to work for them. And it actually like happened that they were sort of looking for folks to join the team when I was listening. So it like all kind of came together. Like I remember thinking like, I should try to work for them. And then I looked in their website and they had like a call out for people to join. I was like, this is the timing of this is perfect. So I hadn't gotten into med school at that point, but I was like applying, you know, this is just going to be a good experience. It's a good way to like weave my media experience with medicine and I've just loved working with them. It all came together. I was able to start working with them. And I started out as their Instagram manager. And now I'm managing the Twitter. And I do episodes producing and do a lot of the infographics and show notes and stuff. I'm on air occasionally, not a ton. I actually get kind of nervous being on air, but it's an amazing experience. They're such a great crew of people. And sorry for just like ranting for like several minutes. <laughs> well, you're obviously doing great here. We have plenty of material already to discuss. And yeah, I think that's when I started listening to them too. I was looking for any podcast that was medical related. And I think I really started getting into podcasts around my third year. And like you were saying, they're fun to listen to, not so monotone, overscripted. I'm going to fall asleep if I listen to it, like a lot of the other more academic podcasts are. They have great rapport with each other, with the guests. And 
just the way they cover material. It's a very long episode. They're usually an hour plus, but they cover it from the very basics where anyone can understand more of like a med student level to residency level and then beyond. So they really have the full gamut of whatever topic they're discussing. So it lets you know not only where you are in your education, but kind of what the next step is going to be on whatever that topic is for the episode. So really love the material they have there. And if you ever have extra time, which it doesn't sound like you will, I hate social media. I'm terrible at that. I could use a lot of help with <laughs> for this show. I know. I feel like I've, I was just telling my mom, I'm, I'm feeling very overcommitted, but it's good. It's good to be a little bit overcommitted with the stuff that I'm busy with. I love the curbsiders. Like it's been such a good way of spending time. But as somebody who's somewhat like, I try to really balance my exposure to social media. So it's a little bit of a balancing act when you have to like manage, you know, an account for a, a an entity like the curbsiders, like I can't really fully escape. There's a part of me that just wants to like disconnect from all social media and like live in the woods. I've already sort of, I'm going that way. Like I've deleted my Facebook several years ago and have not turned back. And there's a part of me that wants to delete Instagram, although that's where I have my food blog. So I haven't quite pulled myself away yet, but yeah, social media. Yeah. Well, what a beast. As, at least when this episode <laughs> airs then We'll probably get a huge bump in the show downloads. <laughs> so you're putting it on those social media too. All right. I think this is a great segue into sort of the meat and potatoes of this episode, since we have mostly a third, fourth year early residency kind of audience. At least that's the aim for the show is really to help students transition from like the basic sciences, from classroom work to the clinical setting. And there are a lot of changes going on. We're recording this right now in October. This will be in season three, so I'm not sure when it's going to air quite yet. But we have a lot of changes in clinical clerkships right now, namely that a lot of students just can't get them. We have change in step one going past fail. So students are looking for extracurriculars to boost their CV and things like maybe hopping on a podcast or helping them out with their social media or something like that is a great addition to your CV as well. So I'm kind of curious to hear from your current standpoint as a third year student and i'm not sure how much of your clinical work your clerkships you got done before you know covid hit what have you kind of experienced so far and what have you heard from classmates from other schools as far as how this is going to change in the upcoming year yeah i am in a sort of interesting year because we're going to be one of the last folks that had a graded step 1 and actually, the way that the schedule worked out, I feel like we were somewhat fortunate. Like the week that everything was starting to close down for coronavirus was our last week of second year in March. So we had like a couple exams and then we were going to be on break for our step one dedicated. And it just became a protracted step one dedicated, which was honestly a real challenge because you know, you couldn't really have a normal study schedule. We were talking about this a little bit. Like, it's super hard to, like, plan out your question bank and, like, your content review because there's sort of this sweet spot that people talk about of, like, the retention you have. Like, there's only so many weeks you can kind of cram for it. Not that you're cramming for the step, but you kind of are. There's sort of, like, this level of content review that you're getting through. So that was challenging for everybody in my year, I think. But it didn't affect our clinical work so much. We ended up starting about a month late, but my class has been back in clinical sites since, you know, June, July, which is really great. I'm actually, I know you mentioned this in the top of the show. I'm in the main track 
at Tufts. So Tufts has like kind of a partnership with Maine Med and a cohort of the class that have an interest in Maine and rural medicine do their clinical work in Maine. So some of my classmates are doing their third year clerkships at Maine Med. And then a portion of us, and I'm one of this group, are doing a longitudinal clerkship, which I absolutely love. I wish more schools did it because you get a lot of exposure to you know, having like ownership over your schedule, you have some independence and you have the ability to follow patients, like super, super cool. And you're at these small, like satellite rural hospitals, part of the main health system around the state of Maine. And I've gotten a lot of clinical exposure that way, which is good. And I have heard, I don't have personal experience with this, but I've heard that some folks are doing a lot of virtual clerkships, which I think is not a great substitute for actual clinical exposure. I mean, it just doesn't come close to like simulating it. We're not there yet. You know, we don't have like VR sets or it just doesn't, it's hard. So I I feel like that is really hard for folks and for fourth years too, like doing a lot of virtual interviews. Like it's hard to get a taste of a residency program when it's just going to be conducted by Zoom. So I don't know what the answer for that is, but it's a challenge for sure. Yeah, the teleclerkships have really blown up recently, especially as for many students, they're the only option right now to have any clinical experience. So it makes sense to do it now. But you're right, it's basically an observership at that point. There's not a lot of interaction. There's not a lot that you can do. You're on basically an iPad in the room as the physician is questioning the patient, or maybe you even get to yourself, but it's not going to be the same as conducting a physical exam yourself and really getting to connect with the person by having that physical connection, the physical contact with the patient. So I agree. It's a great alternative for right now. I do think it's going to stick around later on, probably more for just finishing up a few electives or maybe for international students like myself that are, you know, their schools don't have connections to a lot of universities, but it's probably going to greatly dissipate once the educational environment's safe again. Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the big challenges. It just takes a lot of infrastructure to keep a student body safe in a clinical setting. We're just lucky, like Maine, and I guess for some of the students that are in Massachusetts in my class, the volume of coronavirus here is manageable enough that we can get tested if we need to, like we can quarantine and things like that. And they have some rules in place to like limit our exposure, but it takes a lot to make that happen. So I I totally understand why schools haven't been able to in some parts of the country. Yeah, definitely. Clinical preceptors are busy professionals as is, and those wishing to give back to the academic community can be overburdened by scheduling and paperwork. With the Find a Rotation platform, physicians looking to precept students can register for their free account, control calendar availabilities, set preferences, and be done. Our system automates and simplifies much of the process. Register for your free account now by visiting findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. And this is probably why a lot of students are trying to get more private practice rotations right now, because the hospital setting has the more high-risk patients, and it's higher risk to protect the students. So there are platforms out there that are trying to allow students to have these outside of the university hospital kind of setting rotations to to finish up what they can right now. And that's actually probably not going to go away because that's something that my school used a lot just as their normal curriculum. But I'm curious to see where that's going to go in the next year too. That's super interesting. I think that's actually a good benefit of this because one of the issues I think with 
medical education clerkships are that you generally sort of see a very homogenous experience. Like, you know, you may be doing pediatrics inpatient, for example, and you're seeing like mostly nursery kind of situation, babies, and you're not really seeing what it's like to be a pediatrician in outpatient medicine. And I think having exposure to the private practice or, you know, office outpatient setting is very helpful because I think it can definitely show people a different work environment than an inpatient academic center and give you a sense of like more of the options that are out there for you. Definitely. It's not going to help you as much for the step exams because those seem to be, in my opinion anyway, based on hospitalist medicine for the most part. Yeah, for sure. But it will give you an idea if you don't like the hospital setting so much, you're still probably going to have to do that for your residency for most specialties. But after residency, you can see some of the other options out there that you might enjoy more for your long-term goals, for your long-term profession. Yeah. And one other benefit, I think, of all of the stuff that's going on with these changes is like, we're all getting more comfortable with telehealth. And I think that's a great skill to be really comfortable with. Even though I'm doing a lot of in-person stuff, we still have a couple, when I'm an outpatient with my outpatient preceptors, we're doing like telehealth visits. And I feel like it's really a great way to get comfortable with, with that and to sort of be able to do that once you are in practice. I think it's a good skill to be able to tap into, hopefully as insurance companies continue to like reimburse telehealth at the same level and stuff. It's really useful. Yeah. It's sad that it took this pandemic for them to actually make some important changes there, but I don't think it's going to go away afterwards. So that'll be yeah. a good thing for everyone. Good thing for patients. Good thing for doctors. Definitely. And, and you mentioned the uh, longitudinal clerkships, and this is something I've only recently become aware of. Could you discuss what that is a little bit more for students that haven't heard of that term? Yeah. So it's sort of like doing every week you're doing everything, which sounds crazy, but like I have like my Mondays is my surgery day. So I'm in the OR with my surgeon preceptor. And then Tuesdays I have, you know, a half day of pediatrics and a half day of self-directed learning. So I can use that to like be studying or a lot of times what I've been doing is check in with the hospitalist team at the hospital that I'm at and see, you know, if I can be with them for a couple hours. On Wednesdays, I do outpatient internal medicine and then emergency department. Thursdays is my psych day. So I split that between two different preceptors. One does outpatient psych and one does inpatient psych. The hospital I'm at has a lot of resources for a rural hospital. It happens to be one of the bigger ones in our longitudinal program, but we have like a inpatient dual diagnosis kind of psych clinic. So they do detox and also, you know, more complex psychiatric cases. And then on Fridays, I do ob either clinic or surgery, and family med in the afternoon. So you kind of get this like really jam-packed week, and every day is a little different, and your schedule is sort of changing week to week, sometimes based on the preceptor schedules. And I have to tell you, it was super, it's still super overwhelming. Like it's very hard shifting your brain from surgery to peds, to internal medicine, to emergency. You're kind of like shifting constantly. And at the beginning, you don't know anything. Like I'm still starting to just kind of get a handle on the content of for each different clerkship. But like week one, month one, you know, month two, even you're sort of like, what is going on? Like, you know, I'd never really, it was a little bit information overload. And I feel like I'm pretty good at managing that. Everyone had said like the first couple of months are extra hard, like harder than starting a normal clerkship. And I think that's true. Um, but it's an amazing experience. And I've gotten to see patients like in multiple contexts. I've seen babies get born and then I follow them to their pediatric appointment. I follow their mom to her OB-GYN follow-up. Like you can do 
really cool longitudinal care following of your patient panel that you build. That sounds amazing. And you build great relationships with your preceptors. Like you really get to know your attendings. There's also no residents, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like residents are great teachers. But the flip side of that is you get to do the things that residents generally would be doing. When I'm in surgery, I really want to learn how to like intubate and be really good at that because I heard that's something that you kind of have to do in most residencies if you do internal medicine and it's just like a good skill to sort of have. And I get to like, I watch the anesthesiologists. I've gotten to know them. Like they'll let me practice. So I've, I've done a, a couple intubations already, which is great. So you get really good hands-on experience. All right. So I'm not sure I would feel the same way if I was going through it in third year, but in retrospect, that sounds like it's just the most opportune way to do it because especially for the steps, for instance, you are not going to be doing one block of internal medicine and one block of family medicine, one block of surgery. So when you do rotations in the traditional way where you're stuck in a rotation for several weeks to several months, I had some that were 12 week long. And you know, in the first couple of days, generally, if you're going to like that rotation or not, if you like that specialty. So being stuck in that for a long period of time can be very disheartening, just kind of tune out certain things. And no, no one wants to admit that, but some students, you kind of, you just don't like that particular rotation. So being able to mix it up like that, keeping it new, it's going to be overwhelming, definitely. But it sounds like such a better learning environment. And like you said, following the patients from different departments and really getting to know them and getting to know the preceptors. I mean, that sounds like the ultimate goal of what a lot of our education is lacking right now, where we want to be. Sounds like the best way to really approach that. Probably difficult for most schools, but definitely sounds like an interesting and beneficial way to approach clinical medicine. Yeah, it's so awesome. From a student perspective, I think you get such a great experience. And I do think it's not for every student. I think some students do really like having the ability to just focus on one thing. And originally, I thought that's what I would want to do. I didn't realize I was going to want to do LIC when I first started the main track. I thought I wanted to be at main med and get that inpatient traditional kind of exposure. But it's nice to sort of immerse yourself in one subject. You know, if you're doing OB-GYN just to like, be studying OB-GYN, be doing your U-World, be doing like all that and just really get it a good sense. And you're doing it every day. Like you definitely lose a little bit of your momentum in the LIC. But I think the biggest barrier, I mean, it's great for students, but the biggest barrier is the logistics for the schools. Like I think it's a lot more challenging for them to coordinate that like it makes it hard to offer it. And I do know more schools are doing it. Like the main track has always made this a priority, which is awesome. Like their program for the longitudinal clerkships is like 10 years old now or something at this point. So they're kind of like pros at it. They've done it for years. They have a great sense of how they've improved it over time. Like they're going to keep doing it, but not all schools have had 10 years of focused attention to it. Some people are just sort of starting to pilot it and it definitely takes a lot of work from the admin. So I think that that's the biggest barrier to more schools having it because you also need a lot of commitment from a preceptor too. You need like, you know, nine months of commitment from a preceptor. Good point. Good point. I guess that's probably why in the brief research I did on the topic, it seemed like the five or six schools that popped up anyway, if you Google search like longitudinal clerkships, they're generally, I would consider them higher tier schools. So they probably have more resources available to do something like this. Probably not going to be mainstream anytime soon, if ever. <laughs> yeah. And it really helps that the main track sort of has this mission to expose and get people interested in rural healthcare. 
you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I loved the Tufts main track, because like, I think that's so important. Like I've seen what having issues, having like, you know, gaps in a healthcare system can do to a community like in Vermont, you know, that's sort of what's happened in some parts there. People are just get so isolated and the way that the system has changed, it can allow healthcare crises to just like really get out of control. Like the drug crisis across the country has just been so such an example of that. And I love that the main track is like really focused on wanting to get doctors interested, wanting to get med students interested. So there'll be doctors practicing in these kind of environments and it's working. Like there's actually a person who did her LIC at the hospital I'm at and she's coming back as an OB-GYN. So like, it's kind of cool to see like the fruition of this goal, but you need, I think part of it is you need to have like a strong goal. Like main track is motivated to make this happen because the admin are like really passionate about getting people interested in rural healthcare. Yeah. Great episode in season one with Dr. Aaron Wiseman, who does rural healthcare and just kind of explaining what to expect in that situation. It's really crazy because she's one of the only doctors out there. So she has to do everything basically, but it also sounds really fun if you like that type of environment. So I'm glad that they're getting, some of the students are getting that experience because it's not something that you're really thinking of in med school. You don't even really realize that rural medicine is really a separate thing or like wilderness medicine or all these kind of offshoots that are not discussed. They're not in first aid. You know, they're not something that you're going to think about too much. So with the upcoming year, do you have any particular recommendations for students on how to maybe get past some of the obstacles they're going to come across or how to boost their CV, for instance? My only advice is make sure you're, whatever your schedule is, you're building in enough time to study. That's a constant struggle for me. I'm always trying to like make sure I'm doing enough time to actually do the content review for these tests. Because as much as, you know, yes, step one is pass fail. It's still a test. You still have to pass it. Step two is not pass fail. You have to make sure that you're putting the time to do well in those exams. And that's going to help you be better in third year anyway. Like step two, at least is more like relevant to what you're doing day in and day out. But the other thing I would say is think about your strengths and try to find opportunities that are going to like highlight those strengths that you can talk about in a residency interview. One of my goals has been to sort of find projects and things that fit my past experience and like allow me to sort of leverage my past experience in a way that, you know, makes me a better doctor. And I think that that will, you know, help me hopefully for residency stuff. But I mostly was motivated because it's like things that interest me. So like everybody has things that they're interested in or that they're good at, you know, like I'm not a traditional medical student that's got like tons of bench experience or, you know, posters in like hard research. But the summer between first and second year, I did a fellowship with Massachusetts Medical Society in their legal advocacy department. And I did research on vaccine hesitancy, which was super interesting to me. And honestly, it'd be very important in the next year or so. But I was like, I wanted to do something that would be like a topic I was interested in, like public health and legal advocacy. Like that is totally in my interests. And maybe it's not the traditional sort of research experience, but I loved it. I had a great experience. I'm happy that I sought those out. It's sort of overwhelming to take the time to try to find these things when you're so busy with stuff for school and for clinical work. But I think taking the time to really think about it, think about yourself, think about what your skills are, what your interests are, and trying to find unique projects that showcase that will ultimately only help you and you'll be happier doing it. There's no need to like force yourself to do something that you don't like or enjoy. 
So I feel lucky. Like I've been, things have like sort of come together nicely. Like I've been able to find really cool projects that have been able to like allow me to continue using the skill set I built in journalism and law. So yeah, finding things like that, I think is a helpful way to sort of stand out. Like try out a few things and maybe find a passion and stick with it. Because if you enjoy doing it, then it's not really work. It's fun. And it can be a great way to get out of, you know, the academic mindset, out of the study sessions and just do something that you feel productive. You're creating content or you're editing something or yeah, or whatever it might be for you. And we have this sort of mindset in medicine that like things have to be a certain way. Like a path has to be a certain way. Like you have to do, when you were getting into med school, you had to have this, this, and this. You had to have the shadowing, the research the, you know, perfect grades. I think that's true. You do need to have like good scores and good grades and stuff, but you can like forge your own path in terms of like your extracurriculars in a way that, and I think that residency, I'm hoping that residency directors and program directors are more like open to that. And I don't know, one thing that I think people could get involved in that's like, there's a ton of opportunity is in advocacy. Find something that you are passionate about. Like this 2020 has got like so many things that are important and need attention. There's room for medical students to be at the table in advocacy in a really powerful way. And I don't know, I feel like that's a cool thing that people can get involved with. There's just so, there's a lot, like there's a lot of ways you can like give back to your community too. And yeah, it takes a lot of time, but it's worth it. Yeah. Well, I think we have covered a lot of great material here, really given some good guidance to incoming students or current students that might have a lot of these obstacles with COVID and with the changes in board exams and everything, how to approach them, how to overcome them, how to think about them anyway, and some ways to start a passion project and have fun and build your CV. I'm curious if you have any last minute thoughts or maybe resources for the students or maybe how to find you. Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at Beth Garbatelli. I'm not super active on there, but I do check it. And I guess my like parting advice to folks is like, in addition to succeeding at medicine, becoming a great student doctor and eventually doctor, take time for yourself. And I know that like, we all know that we are supposed to take time for ourselves, but like build it into your schedule. If you need to like do something that is just for you and strongly consider sitting down with a therapist. Medicine is inherently a little traumatic, I think, or a lot traumatic. And you start to really see that third year too. You're exposed to things that like your friends not in medicine are not going to understand. And, you know, therapy is just a way to process it. And like, especially now that you can, people could do it remotely. Like, I think that's a nice, and I don't, I don't always practice what I preach, you know, like I'm, I'm not always on top of like being a therapist, but it's helpful to talk to somebody. And like, whether that's a therapist or like a really good group of med student friends that you can process stuff with, make time for that because you need to like build in those healthy lifestyles now so that you can have a sustainable career in medicine going forward. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Well, Beth Garbatelli, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.